0: Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Great to have you guys back in the game as we get settled into 2020. It's a fresh year, new goals and resolutions, likely for some of you to try and lose weight and maybe be a little healthier. But something tells me you've actually been here before. You've tried this before. This resolution, which comes every January, is starting to actually feel like Groundhog Day. It probably feels like insanity. And a wise man once said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It might work for a short time, but old habits and emotions and patterns do come back into play. And here's the key. The most important component in the battle with your body is healing the source of your suffering. Successful weight management requires shifting your identity and belief systems well before diet and exercise. Okay, but don't worry. I'm not throwing that out without actually providing you with the answers. The book is called Brain Powered Weight Loss, written by Eliza Kingsford. Eliza is described as a mind-body practice practitioner, and nationally recognized weight management expert. She is a leading voice in the burgeoning mind-body connection movement. She's also a licensed psychotherapist, trained in clinical psychology, neuro-emotional technique, and emotional freedom techniques, which we have talked about, which is, of course, the tapping mythologies. She was a behavioral coach, then a clinical director, and finally executive director of an obesity and weight management summer program for teens. She did that for 10 years. Now, she wrote the book Brain Powered Weight Loss in 2017, highlighting the brain weight equation and how our weight is impacted by the relationships we have with food and not just the food itself. I am so excited to tackle this uh, topic and really dive deeper into it and really help people kind of feel motivated, inspired, and believe and hope that they're actually going to be able to be successful this time. So Eliza, great to have you joining us from Boulder, Colorado. I am really excited to have you. So thank you.
1: Thanks. That was such a great intro. I love it. Can you do that for me every time? That was fantastic. <laughs>
0: I will send you the I will send you the, the <laughs> copy. I will send it. you can send it to other podcasters because I know you've actually done a lot of these. You've been really uh, you you've had a, a great impact in sharing the story and sharing the reason mm-hmm. behind it. Do you find the response has been good, especially to this book that came out?
1: Yeah, I do. And I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about today. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, And I do. I find that uh, people are getting really tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again and staying on this hamster wheel. And um, after writing the book and then getting the feedback and working with clients afterwards, I have found that I think as a collective community or a collective, um, a collective whole, we're ready for something different. We're ready for something different than just the next diet and the next exercise. Like people are getting it, but that's not quite it. Right. And I, it makes me so excited because, um, I'd like to think that I can help if we're ready for that next level. And, uh, it's one, of, it's just my favorite thing to talk about. So, Yeah. Was
0: it fair for me to say that a lot of people are on repeat? It's on Groundhog Day, right? They mm. they seem to have these similar resolutions. I think in their mindset, they would love to be able to feel better, be healthier, maybe lose some of that weight, change some of their eating habits. And yet, you know, it might hit in. And, and this is the thing, you know, I'll be at the gym, you know, for January and halfway into February. And it's yeah. like, it's really, really <laughs> busy. And then come, you know, the end of yeah. February into March, it's like, where did all those people go? You know, that this is oh, the yeah. perfect time to maybe be able to, to, to head into this new year with a different mindset. As to how you can possibly achieve these goals,
1: yeah, yeah. And to answer your question, yes, I do. I believe I I hear a lot that people just feel like it's it's Groundhog Day. It's the same thing over and over again, but they think they're doing it differently. So that's the that's the hard part is um, they'll go, okay, well, I tried uh, Paleo or Keto, and I'm not dogging any any program. I can talk about that, um, but I tried this and I tried that, and that didn't work. So. 2020, I'm going to try this, right? And it becomes, I'm going to try this exercise plan and this diet plan. And that is really what is what keeps people on Groundhog Day over and over again because they think they're doing something different by picking the new plan. They're actually doing the exact same thing they've always been doing with just a different Band-Aid, right? And so until you get that, um, it's not the diet. It's not the workout plan that is – um, failing you right uh, you don 't get off the hamster wheel until you realize that that 's not it
0: so w- the question is what is it and I think this <laughs> this is the foundation of the work that you do
1: yeah, it is the foundation of the work that I do because what I tell people is you can use uh, all of those quote diets work because they worked for somebody you can you can find evidence of every single one of those working. Um, for someone, and so it's not, the, it's not the diet, it's not the exercise plan. Um, it is who you are in relation to that thing, and each person is going to be different in relation to it. And I'll tell you a little bit about what I mean. Um, for instance, uh, if you believe, and th- I, I love telling people this, if you believe that you are an overweight person, if you identify as a person who has weight to lose, then you will always create the behaviors of a person who has weight to lose, which just keeps the weight on your body. In order to be someone who is what I call at your happiest and healthiest weight, and I say it as your happiest and healthiest weight because that's different for everybody. It may be exactly as you are, but now you're just feeling confident and better. It may be that your body sheds 50 pounds. It may be that it's 10, whatever it is, the weight that you're happiest and healthiest at is different for everybody. If you don't start working from the end in mind, some of your listeners may have heard of the be, do, have cycle. Um, In order to get what you want, in order to, to get to where you're going, you need to work from who you want to be, not from who you currently are, because who you currently are got you to exactly where you are, right? So if you go into the new diet saying, I'm going to be Leanne doing this new diet, then you're going to continue to be Leanne. What you want to be is somebody entirely new and entirely new for you right now or for the listener who is has a desire to change their shape or really it's changed their adiposity or body fat, but that's a, that's a conversation for a different day. For your listener who has a desire to change their shape, they are behaving from the person who has the desire to change their shape. They are not behaving from the person who has already become successful at that thing. It's a process that I break down um, with a lot of detail, and I really want to break it down for your listeners so they, you know, they can they can understand it and start um, start implementing it. When we set a new goal, for most people, when we set a new goal, we set it from the person that we are. We say, "I feel like I want to." Lo- I'm just being very um, simple here, but I feel like I want to lose 50 pounds, so I'm going to go on this diet and I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And we ignore all of the data and the information that got us to where we are right now, right? So in order to get somewhere new, we have to look at the data and the information that got in the way of where we said we were gonna go before change that and start to work from a new place. And if you want me to, I can start yeah. to break that down okay. step by step. I, yeah, okay. I'd
0: like an example. Can you give me an example of that because it, you know, I'm listening yeah. and it makes it makes sense, but you really have to think hard, you know, when you're thinking you of the person yep. of the place that I want to be and you know, so okay, yes. an example would be fantastic.
1: Yep, so I will give you an example. And then as they mentioned you, I there, I have a worksheet mm-hmm. that sort of visualizes it and, and um, your folks are, are welcome to download that. So you first start from your intention. Your intention is that if you think of it as a pyramid, start at the top of the pyramid and the pyramid from a visualization standpoint is your intention. Where do you intend to go? And you want to get very detailed and very specific about that intention. So for example, if you say, I want to lose 50 pounds, that is not quite enough. I will say to you, who is that person? What does that person do? What does that person think? What does that person feel? How do they walk into a room? How do other people respond to them? Get very detailed and specific about, because just saying I wanna lose 50 pounds, that doesn't give me much information, does it? It doesn't say anything about how that changes you or transforms you or how you feel any different. So I get people to get really specific. What is your intention? Okay, so now I'm going this step beyond my original, quote, goal of lose 50 pounds. Now I'm going with this big, broad intention of who am I becoming? Who is that person? Getting very detailed and specific. And I'll tell you before I go on, a lot of people get really stuck there. They've never actually thought about the answer to that question. Well, who am I? How is my life different? How do things look different if I actually reach that goal? And what I can tell you is if you don't get really specific and you don't know what it looks like and you don't know who you are and you don't know what it feels like, you're probably not ever going to get there. So you get really specific about who that is, who I am becoming. Okay. now you want to work from that person. Right. So now you've gotten very specific about who that person is and you want to work from that person and go, what goal would I need to achieve to be that person? Right, so you might say, if I want to lose fifty pounds, and now I've gotten clear with my intention, you might say that person will. Um, we'll we'll just make it very simple. That person will get movement and activity most days of the week. Okay, that's what that person does. I know that the version of myself that's my happiest and healthiest weight—they move. They move their body. That feels good for them.
0: That they. You know, Right. Are you going to have people stuck in that situation and that scenario? Because for them, they're quite comfortable sitting on a couch, you know, watching Netflix and heading to get yep. that, you know, a little bit of ice cream, you know, just to be able to comfort them. Or, like I'm thinking yes. for some people, even picturing what it's like to be active and moving a few times a week, it, it almost brings a, a little bit of an anxiety going, I haven't done it yep. before. How am I picturing that I'm doing it now?
1: Exactly. So you're there. That's the next step. So you're so you're getting it. Yep. You're already there. So you're setting this broad, your big intention. And then one of the goals to get there would be to move. And then the most important part is, wait, if one of my goals is to move to get to that intention, and I'm not doing that right now, what are my barriers? This is the data. This is the information that's most important for people to get to. You want to know what your barriers are, and you just mentioned a few of them. I'm super comfortable sitting here on my couch right now. I'd much rather watch Netflix. I'd much rather you know, eat whatever it is that's in front of me. Great, I'm going to get really honest and clear about what my barriers are. And so that's the next step in the pyramid. So the, the top of the pyramid is the intention, the big intention. The second layer is the goal. Well, what goal would I need to set to get to that intention? The third layer is the barrier. What What is getting in my way of getting to that goal because if you don't look at the things that have gotten in your way at this moment right now, then you're skipping over the most important part, which is we we are a product of our habits, the things that we do every single day. And if your habit is to be someone who sits on the couch most of the time, it is very unrealistic for you to set a New Year's resolution for yourself to be somebody who goes to the gym. You skip that important step of there of why, what is getting in the way of me going to the gym? What has gotten in the way in the past of me going to the gym?
0: Can you, can you explain that though? Because there's, I would think the list of, because I do see that as an, as an excuse or is there, it's not for some, they would see it as an excuse, but for others, it's, it's, there's a much deeper meaning to it.
1: Sure oh yeah I mean, and especially the people I work where there there's layers of deeper meaning right so you even in my intro you talked about you have to get to the source of the problem um, there are layers of deeper meaning to it um, but the truth of the matter is even once we start looking at the layers of the of the deeper meaning and maybe their excuses, maybe their' subconscious blockers whatever it is, you still don't ever get to get away from the fact that, we are a we are the sum of all of our habits. And even when we get to the deeper meaning, even when we sort of clear away all the layers that are getting in our way, you still have to physically do something different in a repetitive nature in order to change. I mean, that's, you know, like that's a very baseline level and there's all the excuses and there's all the ways and there's all the reasons why we don't do something different. But you still have to actually do something different. So, when I'm backing people down and we're looking at the barrier, so if we're back to the barrier of sitting on the couch, then we say, okay, great. Here's my barrier of sitting on the couch. And that is the goal that we focus on. So, so we started with wanting to lose 50 pounds, right? Well, that's not going to work. We change it to an intention. There's the goal attached with that intention. Here's my barrier to meeting that goal. Now I'm breaking down that barrier of sitting on the couch even further with goals, So we're getting like really minuscule here. We're going, you think you want to lose 50 pounds? In reality, what you need to work on is setting a goal for getting yourself off that couch, right? And it's just the one thing. And so we look at the barrier for getting off the couch. And to your point, well, what might it be? Might it be an excuse? Might it be um, I don't have time in my day or I don't prioritize time in my day or I don't have the right running shoes or I don't have a gym membership. Or I don't have... You're right. There's all the excuses that come up. Those are the details that you want to focus on. You don't set yourself the goal, the large overarching goal and hope you figure out the way to get there because you haven't gotten there in the past. We need to look at the thing that you do every single day. And if what you do every single day is sit on the couch, then we take that one thing and we look at that thing and say, all right. How are we going to get you off the couch? What is getting in the way of getting you off the couch? And we work through that barrier, which then leads you to be able to get to the goal above it, which then leads you to be able to get to that broader intention, right?
0: And I know you've worked with so many people, but just the getting off the couch was just something that came to my mind. But you have had a broad experience. What are some of those base level barriers can you give us a, yeah. a, a number? So I think that certain ones yeah. are going to relate with people.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for me, so I was using getting off the couch. If I'm really honest with you, it's it's eighty it's eighty to ninety percent food. It's almost always about the food. Um, the and in fact, uh, people don't like it when I say this, but it's actually really true. Movement and exercise plays very little part in being able to maintain, um, or I should say, maintain is different, but to lose weight that people want to lose. There's a whole, again, we could do a whole different podcast on why that's true. But when I'm working with people, it's almost always with the food. Um, And usually what happens is that someone is setting a goal to lose weight. And here is the diet plan that they're going to use to get there, right? Um, And so for me, again, I don't care what food plan people use. It's not the food plan. It's the fact that we don't stick to it. I mean that's just the mm-hmm. simple truth of it. It just uh, it's it's with some overarching principles of focusing on nutrient dense whole foods and staying away from processed foods. Outside of that, when you get into the minutia of low carb, high carb, fat, keto, it doesn't matter. They all end up having the same effectiveness if you stick to it, and that is the biggest piece that people missing. Mm-hmm is that once they stop sticking to it, they jump to the next plan without going through this process of breaking down their patterns of not sticking to it. So to your question of well, what do you see people getting in people's way, it's a, it's a combination of um, emotional eating triggers, habitual patterns and neuropathways that they've walked down over and over and over again. So it just becomes a habit and, um, I already said emotional eating triggers, didn't I? Uh, for some people, it's binging and overeating. Um, and then for a lot of people, for the, for the vast majority of people, it's diet mentality and restriction mentality. And even just the mentality of diet and restriction causes a cascading event, causes cascading effects. So I'm not looking at the details of the food I'm looking at the specifics of their barriers to success. So if it is a diet and restriction mentality, when they come up with the, oh, I'm going to use the paleo diet to lose 50 pounds, we get down, we we break it down to that system that I was talking about to, no, the goal that you're going to focus on is how often you have a food rule for yourself that puts you in restriction and diet mentality. How many times a day do you tell yourself that you can't have that because it will make you gain weight? Oh, how interesting, I do that 60 times a day. Great, we're gonna work on that goal, which is going to lead you to be able to be more clear about your body's natural clues, which is gonna lead you to be able to eat paleo if that's the way you want to eat it, which is going to lead you to be able to lose that 50 pounds. We're working so backwards with it.
0: Okay, so let's go to that example that you said someone that's working from a diet restriction. They've had this habit of, I, you know, I can't have that. I'm restricted from that. And they're thinking about yep. it 60 times a day. What would be yeah. an example of working through, as you mentioned, that that's one of the triggers? So, how do you work through something like that when they're having 60 or so thoughts a day based purely on, I want to have that, but I can't because I'm on a diet? And then you're into that mentality.
1: Yep. Yeah. Love it. Um, so, the being aware is step number one, the awareness. So we go through tools and, and different types of exercises to become aware. Um, most people don't even realize how often they tell themselves those messages. So becoming aware is step number one. And that's actually a really powerful step um, because oftentimes once people become aware of it, it creates this cognitive dissonance, right? It creates this, um, in in more layman's terms, it creates this feeling of, oh, wow, listen to me you know, kind of berate myself like that. How do I again. I'm gonna do that? Right?
0: Oh, I already it, did it 50
1: times earlier today and we're doing it again. Exactly. Exactly. They start to, they start to get uncomfortable with it when they didn't even know they were doing it before. So that's really powerful. Um, and then we start to shift just language, just language um, and, and little language. So a little bit, very powerful. So we'll start to throw in, okay, instead of, I can't have, can we move to, I choose not to, Right. Um, and so for a lot of people, Oh man. Um, it's sort of how deep do I want to get into? We've got time and I want, I want to get deep
0: because I I want to give people like, I want, I want them to have hope. Right. And it's like, okay, let's go deep because let's figure out because I, I feel like there will be people who are going, my gosh, I actually do kind of, if I think about it, think about it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, for the sake of going deep. So what happens is people will say, um, uh, what I'm scared of is that if I, if I allow myself to have food, that I will be out of control, right? And so that's why they're saying I can't have it. And what I walk people through is this process of allowing. You don't even know if you want it because you've told yourself you, can, you can't have it 60 times a day. You don't even you what I promise you is if you're telling yourself you can't have if you are following rigid food restriction and guidelines all day long, you have no idea what you actually want. And when I say want, I mean, from a I, I say this all the time to my clients, do you want it physically, mentally or emotionally? Is it nourishing to you physically, mentally or emotionally? And these are the questions that I start to get people to begin to ask themselves because most of my clients have been dieting for so many years they have no idea what they want what their body wants when they're full when they're hungry how much they need when they want to. they don't have any idea of those things those cues are gone because they've been following a plan for so long
0: how often do you get it though that it's not actually because they're hungry but that they say that the reason is usually emotional
1: Um, if I were to put a percentage on it, um, people who are struggling with their weight and honestly, sometimes people aren't even struggling with their weight. They're just just struggling with the disordered relationship to food. 90% of the time, there's some, there's some emotional component. And let's be clear. I mean, we all have a, um, a spectrum of, of emotional eating, right? Emotional eating gets a bad rap. It, it, we think that it means something negative. I just emotionally ate at Thanksgiving, right? Isn't turkey and stuffing and all that kind of stuff, isn't that emotional eating? There is there is an emotional component to it. You connect it with feeling good or feeling bad, right? Mm-hmm. And so everybody has a continuum of emotional eating. It's just that some people, and I would say the, the minority of people um, – now, what I say, it's the minority. There is a percentage of people that it it's not problematic for, right? And then there is a percentage of people for where the emotion, the emotional eating, becomes problematic. And part of the reason it becomes problematic is because they've been dieting for so long, and restricting for so long,
0: which creates also a love hate relationship with food. Mm-hmm. you know for for someone who has a healthy relationship you know food they look at it like it, it, it's nourishing it's delicious yep. even though we can and there's an appreciation for it and there's a desire yep. and there's a healthy relationship with it so you're not having this constant battle but i would think for someone who is, has been in constant fluctuation constant yo-yo dieting you know and sometimes finding success but then of course you know it not working yep. you you have yeah. you do you create this like love hate with something that is meant to be, absolutely. you know, a, a gift to, to nourish and to fulfill you, you know, in yeah. life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and food is just food is just food, right? I mean, just like anything else, that food is food is just food. We attach all these things to it. You're, you're exactly right. People people who are struggling with food have a really strong love hate with it. Their love is really strong love, and they give it more um, impact and emphasis than it really deserves, right? this ice cream cone becomes this nourish and I mean nourishing meaning um a a um a stand in for love and emotion right this ice cream cone because it's because it they've given it such meaning and the hate is really really strong hate like you're going to make me fat this really really terrible hate for food whereas you're right people who don't have an unhealthy relationship for food a delicious ice cream cone is just a delicious ice cream cone and you move on and, and there isn't any hate for it. It just becomes, nah, it doesn't really serve me. I'm not going to eat that thing. So
0: now I I look at it and I go, how is it that someone was raised or has been able to make their way through life with a healthy relationship with food? And how, how come people have not like where, where in our upbringing, where in, kind of our, this, the line of our lives, does this kind of go off kilter? Or where do we start seeing that it, it branches off in its own direction?
1: Yeah, you asked an interesting question I've spent. I mean, I've done this work mm-hmm. for so long, and I, I'm, a, I'm a huge research nerd and research junkie, and so I've read and absorbed all kinds of information. And I do believe that there is a combination of, Um, it's multifaceted, right? There's a combination of the biological and physiological responses, as well as the psychological and emotional responses. Um, And I love your question, which is partially, how does someone get through life with a healthy relationship to food, (laughs) which I think is such an interesting question, because I would say that, you know, and, and, and people will people will not like me for saying this, but with the with the overweight and obesity rates at being over 70 percent in our country and and, and worse in other countries, I would venture to argue that if you're someone with a healthy relationship to food, you kind of stand at the minority at this point, right? Um, and that piece of it, I definitely believe that our food industry has, a piece of the responsibility in there, and and the reason for that being is that the, when we put our food unnaturally together in these combinations, right, the, the processed foods um, together in these combinations, it messes with our neurotransmitters. It messes with the neural pathways in the brain um, that allow us to make healthy decisions around food. It it, it really does. I mean, we see. Evidence and the the amount of evidence is growing that supports the fact that processed foods hijack our brains. And I won't get into all the geeky science of it um, unless you want me to, but really the ultimate takeaway from that is that what we have done to the food industry has made it much more difficult for us to almost impart free will on food, right? It it makes it more difficult, it makes it so that we have to almost fight city hall we have to be really intentional intentional with our food decisions now because the processed foods are working in the background hijacking the prefrontal cortex and saying eat more eat more eat more i mean that's a very simplified version of what's going on um
0: that's well that's
1: explained well though okay i like how you've done that
0: yes no i think people are following along yes. yes
1: yeah and so especially so then you talk about well who has been impacted by by processed foods well it's it's all the people like me growing up in the 80s right and and a little bit before it started in in the 70s um, which for a whole set of reasons that again um, we can we can get into but it started in the 70s kids of the 80s and then kids of those kids I mean our generations now are being bombarded with and impacted by processed foods in a way that the generations before that, um in the 60s, 50s, 40s, and, and and everything before, were not impacted because our food system was not just overrun with processed foods. And so when you put together processed foods and the fact that comfort food and 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 food that makes you feel good actually does make you feel good. I mean there's a thing called the threat response system. And when you eat food that you like and taste good, it turns down that threat response system and actually does make you feel good temporarily. So you combine the fact that the food is actually making you feel good for a moment and the fact that that food is is hijacking your brain because it's processed, you've got this recipe for massive disaster when you're saying that we're able to just kind of naturally regulate our emotions and naturally regulate our food intake it takes being really intentional with it these days in order to be really healthy. And if I'm going back to your question about, okay, so how do you get through that with a healthy relationship to food? I, I will tell you that's a very interesting like science experiment for me. I would, I would really like to do a, a study on that and, and understand The people right now who are able to really and and I and I would venture to say that it's kind of a minority of people um, who are able to just kind of to just kind of scoot by in life um, and not pay much attention to their food and and not have an emotional reaction to it.
0: See, I I look at it. I think it's circumstance. I think it's family background. I think it's Mm -hmm. how the generation before has been raised. I find it's economic. It's one Mm -hmm. thing to uh, go to the grocery store and be able to purchase fresh fruits and vegetables that taste delicious. Or, you know, when you're dealing with a lower budget, you're dealing with processed items like yeah. I, there's I think there's so many reasons why we end up in a certain place and I'll throw in if I, like I'll throw in social media now I'll throw oh, in yeah. what people are looking at and oh, I yeah. know you have a strong background in dealing with teens and, and, and teen girls yeah. you know yeah. I, I can imagine now that those sessions with these girls are now bringing their phones and their Visco and their Instagram and yeah. their Snapchats and going this girl I want to look like this girl with yeah. this filter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that's been you know photo- photoshopped and filtered and this is not reality but they're fighting that in addition to just the everyday you know what's being thrown at them
1: Oh absolutely and and you're so right i mean circumstantial and and economic and all that kind of stuff absolutely the the part that sparks my brain about well how do how do certain people skate by without having an emotional attachment to food that's the part that i'm really um, interested in and I do, I do think that it it absolutely has to do with family systems and and the messages that you that you give in the household. I do a lot of training for parents to teach them how to talk to their kids about food and what happens all along the spectrum before there is ever an issue with it, in the middle of an issue, and what happens. You know, like you said, I have an extensive background in working with teens and adolescents because. Teens and adolescents would come to me who are in so much emotional pain, um, depression, anxiety, all kinds of comorbidities. There, um, having having in part to do with their with their shape and size. Um, but then parents going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to help them. Um, you know, I don't know how to get them off the processed foods. And and this all plays into your question about the social media. Um, oh, man. I, I, and it goes farther than just looking at their peers with a filter on. It is the sheer volume of information they get and the interpretation of that information on a daily basis, right? So if you're scrolling and you're looking at pictures and there are, there are people on your Instagram feed that trigger a negative emotional response. And by, the, by negative emotional response, I mean you look at the girl and you go, I wish I looked like her. Very simple, very quick. You, maybe you didn't even think it consciously. Maybe it was an unconscious thought. But you get that little hit of negative emotional response over and over and over again every single day. And imagine what that does to your serotonin and dopamine levels. Imagine what that does to your self-esteem. It is a flood of negative emotional responses every day for these teens if they're not, again, being really intentional with how they use their social media, right? And so if it's likes and comments and, you know, I saw a picture of these three friends at the ice cream shop and I wasn't invited, right? To like, there's all of these, all of these things that my generation and, you know, I would, I'm guessing your generation. Yeah, we no, we're, we're, we're,
0: we're right in there. Right? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I don't know how I would have survived what it I is that, that my daughters are going through. I, 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 yes. I can't even, and so it's, it's in my household trying to have the honest dialogue of, yeah. of, of what it is that they're seeing what it is that they're feeling you know what it is that they're consuming you know and and yeah. and we do we have dialogue in my household over food because you know i i feel that i'm lucky that i came from a generation where we ate healthy we didn't have a lot of processed yeah. food in the house you know dessert wasn't something that was just part of nightly activity it was like you the know meal. if we were at, yeah. you know it was that if there was a celebration or something you know it wasn't part of you know what i think in a lot of households are you have dessert you have dinner and then you have dessert it just i didn't grow up yeah. with it so when yeah. i met my husband it, you know it was like well i i don't know I, what do you mean what's for dessert i've i, <laughs> I don't know you know like it's, yeah. it's it's our past experience but it's having to be able to discuss what's the healthy option and what's the not you know like yeah do you want you know it, it's the dialogue that we have in our household but trust me with a, an almost 15 year old now you know, yeah. I'm watching her watch Instagram, looking at these yeah. you know other people and then exactly it's like there's the negative the the hundreds of little negative thoughts and comparisons yeah. that they're seeing yeah. and you're you're trying to be able to monitor what what's actually happening right there. Did you come to this because I, I'm mentioning the teen girls and and I want to kind of get back to the workshops and the workbooks <laughs> and stuff, but usually when people are so passionate about the work that they do, mm-hmm. there's a re- there's there's you connect the dots backwards. Oh yeah. Where was yeah. where and why was this something in all of the work that you do? Because there's a massive background to the work that you had done that this is where you ended up. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, absolutely. There is there is that connection for me. In my teens, I actually just wrote about it in, in a couple of interviews, and it was sort of the first time I was telling my story. But in my teens, I vividly remember. Um, I just not. I just could not figure out how to feel comfortable in my body. I was in constant comparison to other people. Um, I had gone through some pretty significant trauma in my life. I lost my mother at a very very young age. Um, you know, I, I had some. I had some things that were at a. a a challenge for me as a as a very young i'm as an infant as a very young child and some abandonment issues and things and some of that manifested into the way i felt about my body i could not figure out how to get comfortable in my skin i think if you were to look at me externally you would have never you know i you would you would have never said that i was unhealthy but i couldn't internally i could not figure out how to reconcile my relationship with my body. I just couldn't figure out how to feel comfortable in my skin. And I remember me reading this fashion magazine and there was this article. I remember it vividly. I can still remember it right now. There's this article about like how to not have back fat. Right. And I remember sitting in my room going, oh my God, like what's, what is, what is back fat? Like, I can't see my back. Like what, you know, and I'm like turning around being like, what, how do you how do you know these things and, and getting a mirror and, and, you know, and I remember the impact of that and how, you know, sort of then I walked around with like, well, am I OK? But, you know, and, and I became fascinated as, a, as an athlete in high school and then part of the dance team in high school, which is part of sort of the cheer team in high school, which, as you can imagine, there was a lot of negative and unhealthy emotions and relationships when it came to body and food and body image and disordered eating. I was just really fascinated by it all, Um, partially because I was going through it um, and partially because I watched all my peers go through it. And so then in college, um, and I was out on my own, right, cooking for myself and choosing food. I had a really hard time choosing food in college. I just, there were books. There wasn't even really the internet. There was like barely the internet for me. No, we had to go to the computer lab still. Yeah, we would go exactly. to the computer lab, we the to, computer lab to, yes. and Who has time for that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, there was like barely the internet and, and so you could pick up a book and read it and whatever. And there was all this conflicting information. No, you should eat this and no, you should eat that. And I just got so anxious and, and overwhelmed with, well, I don't know what the right thing to eat is. And, and, and how do I, how do I feel comfortable so I, I, you know, studied psychology because I was just so interested in the way the human mind worked. And then I went to grad school um, and and was studying eating disorders and and was really connected to it um, and, and really went on my own journey of how am I going to heal this thing? Like, I want to feel good in my body. I want to feel confident in my skin. I don't. How am I going to heal it? And that thus, you know, thus began the decade long search of every type of diet and exercise and plan and psychology and the mix of it, um, which now looking back certainly has given me a wealth of knowledge to be able to speak from both professionally and personally. Um, But it took me a long time. And I think that's part of what I'm so passionate about is I'd like to give people decades of their life back and not have to spend you know, they that that amount of time being able to get to this point.
0: Do you think people do have to go, though, back decades in their life to maybe find what mm. the trigger was of the potential suffering or trauma or repressed memory that maybe they're not realizing is one of the results or is one of the factors as to why there's the emotional eating or the binge eating or the issue, the love-hate relationship with food?
1: Hmm. Oh, that's a really good question, Leanne. That's a really good question because I I... I'm going to answer it as one of my grad school professors used to say, and we would laugh at, I'm going to say yes. And, um, and what, and what I mean by that is, yes, I do believe that there is inherent value in understanding what the source of your suffering is. I think you've read that you, you know, that about me. And there are ways to get to that. Certainly there is therapy, but, you know, that can be a long process. There are all kinds of um, energy modalities. My personal belief system and where I work from is that trauma, perceived or otherwise, lives in the body. And it will continue to trigger us unconsciously until we're able to clear that out. And there's some really good modalities to be able to clear that out. Um, and so there's some some... Really rich, juicy uh, reasons for why you want to clear that stuff out so you can so you can go forward and mm-hmm. and I also believe that there is a path to changing your habits and behaviors without necessarily always having to like go deep into history and trauma and family and unconscious and subconscious blocks and whatever. I definitely have seen success with a lot of people if we can um, Get them to understand belief systems and identity and then work on this habit training and creating the new systems, identities, and habits that will support the person you are becoming. You can do that work without necessarily um, clearing the trauma and the history. Because someone's listening right
0: now. Right. right. And so someone's listening. They're like, okay, I can – I, I would like to be one of those people that's able to lose, let's say, the 30, 40 yeah. pounds, right? I just don't know how prepared I am to go back into my, po- my, yeah. my past trauma. I'm not there yet, yeah. you know? So let's yeah. let's do one. So there is that, you know, there is that ability to be able to find kind of this this happy medium where you can deal with yeah. one without having to kind of backtrack into, I'm Absolutely. now going to be in therapy for the next 10 years trying to figure everything yeah. else out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I love that yeah. you kind of work with that. So bring us back to, to that worksheet, right? So you yeah. had these... You You had this pyramid that you're working through. So which is the start, right? But I don't want to leave people there going, okay, so now I have these, who do I want to be and how am I going to get there and (laughs) where am I at right now? Then they're going, okay, so, you know, we're not talking about restriction or are we, are we talking about, you know, having, you know, how am I getting off that couch? How are we, you know, am I putting a picture on the fridge that's of that person that I see myself as? Like what, what comes after those, that, that pyramid that we just went through?
1: Yeah. So the way anyone has ever made lasting change, permanent change, is called habit stacking. And so you never take anything and do it all at once. That's just not how it works. And so for and, – and, and this is the bad news. Like I want your listeners to hear the bad news. It's not, it's not bad news. It's reality news that if what you're doing is saying I'm going to lose 50 pounds and here's the six things that I'm going to do – what I can promise you right now is that I'll call you in six weeks and you won't be doing any of them. But if you take, if you break this down and you talked about the pyramid, you got your intention at the top. What's a goal to get to that intention. What's your barrier to that goal. Work on the goal beneath that barrier. It seems like a small thing and you're going, okay, Eliza, but now I'm just working on putting more fiber in my diet. Like, really, that's all I'm doing right now. And I'm saying, yes, that's all right now. That is all you're doing because you're, barrier to meeting any of these larger goals has been that you won't eat a vegetable or whatever it is or that you um, keep telling yourself you can't have um, an ice cream cone and then you end up binging on ice cream. So we're going to work on this one small thing and you're going to master that and then we're going to build. Okay, can
0: I ask you then? So how are you dealing with the people who are really restrictive, which – It doesn't necessarily translate into being incredibly thin, you know, because there are people who are incredibly restrictive dieting and who seem to be able to gain weight. So how do you change that restrictive behavior with someone who's been like, I can't, I can't, I can't, and be able to add in that they can have certain items? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and what I actually see is that the more restrictive you are, the heavier you are, um, Wow! Really? People may fight me on that. Oh yeah. So because what happens? And 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 I say this. This is this is a this is a a matter of of language and semantics. So someone who is naturally thin will, or or what appears to be more naturally thin, who eats sort of naturally without this restriction and this diet and this I can't have and this deprivation. What you'll find is that they naturally eat an appropriate amount for their body. They stop when they're full. If an ice cream sounds good to them, oftentimes they'll like have a few bites and then throw it away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they are consuming an appropriate amount of calories for their body in a kind of peaceful way. What happens is that I get these people who are restrict and restricted it's like, I'm gonna eat this, I'm gonna only eat this and, and I swear I'm never gonna go out of this, which immediately sets them up for a binge cycle or an overeating cycle, and they will white knuckle it until they've run out of willpower and then they and then they are overeating, whether it's overeating daily or whether it's binging three times a week or whatever it is, they're eating significantly more. Because it will backfire, because you set yourself up psychologically for that emotional eating or overeating cycle anytime you're super restrictive like that. For the people that are naturally or more peacefully following, like paleo or keto or Atkins, or I don't know, whatever. Pick whatever you want, because they're following something. They're doing it with ease. They're doing it with intention. They're saying. This feels good to my body. like that the the paleo way of eating supports me. It feels nourishing to me physically, mentally, emotionally. I don't have to I don't have to to diet or, or keep it within a restrictive calorie range. I just know that when I'm pushing outside of those things, it doesn't feel so hot. I don't feel nourished. It doesn't make me feel good. I feel sluggish, I feel uh, whatever. And it becomes this when you when you take the reins off, strangely, is the only time you're able to really evaluate what you actually want and what actually feels good to you. A lot of people need support doing that because they get afraid that they're going to go crazy. Right. And they especially, say, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people come to me and say, Eliza, intuitive eating does not work for me. Like I'm not doing that. And when I tell them I don't do intuitive eating, that's not what I do. And if intuitive eating works for you, fantastic. Keep doing it. You know, like I don't tell anybody to not do something that's working for them. But what, people find with, with that. I do what I call intentional eating and intentional eating is exactly what it sounds like. You're, you're eating with intention. You're, you're eating on purpose, which means for most people, you're not eating a whole lot of processed foods. Cause that hijacks your prefrontal cortex and you're not eating on purpose anymore. You find you just keep shoveling things in your mouth. You are choosing food that feels nourishing to you physically, mentally, and emotionally. So yes, can you eat ice cream? six times a day, six days a week, sure. But how are you going to feel physically, mentally, and emotionally? And when they really start answering those questions honestly, if you ate ice cream six times a day, six days a week right now, you would say to me, Eliza, I feel like crap. (laughs) My body feels like crap. My brain feels like crap. I physically, you know, like it does not feel good to eat that way. But you don't know that because you're following this plan so strictly right now that you're not tuned into any of the cues your body or your brain is giving you. They are all completely shut down. So your question was, you know, uh, how do I, how do I start to, how do I start to eat differently? Well, what do I do if I'm somebody who's in restrictive and diet mentality? Well, I I will say that the help of a good coach is important only because people get really afraid when I say you got to take the reins off. We got to take the reins off, and I'll help you. But we got to take the reins off in order to understand it. So, let's go.
0: So restrictive. It's we're going to eat with intention. It's going to be certain yeah. things. Um, but yep. what if they're saying, "But I, am I allowed to have that ice cream that I was having six times a week? But can I, you know, are you going to take that away? I, I find sometimes when you you they're anticipating that they're going to miss things,
1: yeah. then it's
0: like, oh, it's not worth it. Yeah, I don't want I to have absolutely. to deal with not having y- y- that.
1: My response to that is always, you are allowed to have whatever you want. You are allowed to have whatever you want. Just, pl- I invite you to ask the question, do I want it physically, mentally, and emotionally? And when I say that, when people actually will ask those questions, they find so much information that they couldn't even hear before. I say, you're you're a grown-up. You're allowed to have whatever you want. Do you want it? It's the only question you have to ask. I had this one woman that I was working with. If I have time for a really mm-hmm. quick story, I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, and she said to me, she finally was ready to say, "Okay, I'm going to allow myself to have whatever I want." And she allowed herself without any guilt and shame. That's what I. That's what I tell people: you cannot have any guilt and shame um, if you're going to if you're going to intentionally choose it, choose it, and promise yourself no guilt and shame. So she chose this Philly cheesesteak, right, and fries, super greasy all the things, right? She's like, I was not going to have any guilt and shame about it. And I didn't. She forced herself not to have any guilt and shame about it. She said, all of a sudden, I could feel and understand the, the fries were too greasy. The bread wasn't really that good. The meat was a little greasy. Like I didn't know any of that stuff before until I forced myself to eat it without any guilt and shame and just allowed myself to have it. Because before, when you're in restriction and I can't have, you're so focused on, okay, well, how much of this can I eat? And can I have any more fries? How many fries can I have? No, I've had too many fries. Okay, I could finish the fries. Oh, man, you finished all the fries. How, you did all the fries. You're talking to yourself in such a way so much that you can't even hear if you actually wanted to eat them. She said, listen, I have not had a desire for that Philly cheesesteak since then. I didn't even know I didn't want it until I allowed myself to have it without all of the negative messages running around in my brain. And then all of a sudden I could hear and I could go, oh my God, I don't even want this thing. And she hasn't had it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So there's, it's this really backward process that I think people are really afraid of because they're afraid I'm going to lose control. Right. Which is why I say sometimes a coach is helpful. Not everybody's ready for this on their own, but it's really powerful when we allow ourselves what comes up what do we hear you know
0: absolutely and even if they're not quite ready yet for you know the one on one coaching or you know having to be um having to identify with someone or have to be responsible or accountable, yeah. right? With a coach that might be able to do that. When you talk about the book, I mean, the, the first thing is to just become more informed or be able yeah. to ask yourself, it's asking yourself the right questions, which I love, right? Being, you know, no guilt or shame. And then asking yourself, do I really, do I really love this exactly. as much as I think I do? So the, the first yep. thing would be then, you know, this, this, this book would be a great starting point. And yeah. then I know that we're going to have access to for people to see what these worksheets uh, are going to be like. How long – can I ask this? Okay, Because I, I have this coming yeah. off the beginning of the year. To, to have the incentive, to have like a lot of times people need an end, you know, by six months from now I should be here. Like oftentimes, and even I do it myself, mm. it's like I give myself – a, a goal setting right or how i should be or where I should be by this time are people allowed to do that in in this kind of a mentality like where where do you say that when can you reevaluate
1: um and are you saying that in specifics to like if have i lost weight yet yes you know or I mean?
0: give yourself this much time or don't yeah. you know I, i'm i'm a firm believer don't ever get on a scale you know like i we don't even have a scale <laughs> in my house but yeah you know can you give yourself a time frame for this to say, yeah. okay, for today or for tomorrow or until this time, we're going to, you know, try to get ourselves into this mindset?
1: Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And I would say if I'm thinking back to my clients, um, I would say – Within three months, you can have made some pretty big changes from a mindset perspective. We've given, you know, there's a lot of information in this podcast. You're right. Not everybody even wants to work with a coach. There's a lot of stuff in here. Um, Like, for instance, just asking yourself the question, do I, will this nourish me physically, mentally, or emotionally before every time you eat? And if you really listen for that answer, you're going to get a lot of info. Like, okay. that's huge, what right? If,
0: what if it does do that for two out of three? What if it does emotionally or physically nourish you? Like, what if the answer is, yes, it does?
1: Yep, and uh, that's what I require. I require two out of three. That's what I say. Okay. You want it to be nourishing to you two out of three. Um, and, and someone will say, okay, ice cream. And I'll say, okay, which two out of three does that nourish you? You know, and they might say... Like, these three bites of ice cream feel nourishing to me emotionally, and then they'll go, well, physically, no, not really. Mentally, um, maybe. And the mental part, by the way, people get confused what's the difference between the mentally and the emotionally. Uh The mental piece is the knowledge, right? I know that processed foods contain addictive qualities, right? Or I know that, um, I don't know, I don't I don't know. The, the mental piece is the knowledge piece. Okay. It's the information It's, the ed- educated. it's an had. educated de- decision. Yes. Okay. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. It's the educated piece. The emotional piece, clear. And the physical piece is like, how does it make my body feel, right? It's the, it's the physicality. And so like, if you're allergic to gluten, it's going to make you feel bad physically, whatever. So um, physically, mentally, emotionally, I tell people to try to shoot for two, make sure that it hits two boxes boxes and and when you're talking about ice cream in specific right if you eat three bites of ice cream you may hit two boxes physically you may hit three boxes physically mentally emotionally you're all good but once you eat that tub guess what we're no longer emotionally you're no longer physically or mentally you know in that place right so what i what i was trying to get at is that there's a lot of really good nuggets here if you can ask yourself physically mentally emotionally does this nourish me Right. You can say to yourself, instead of I can't have, I choose not to. Even that practice can be life changing for people. Um, You can also ask yourself if I even really want it. So I teach people to eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full, eat what their body wants and ask the physically, mentally and emotionally um, nourishing question. And if you're doing those things on your own, you can go really, really far with this, with discipline, right? And just continue to practice it over and over and over again. To your question of how long should it take, when, I, when people really do that for three months, um, ask the right questions, be intentional, be willing to listen for the answers, they can find that their shifts are powerful and they're meaningful. And you know what they are? They're lasting, they're not gripping and white knuckling on this diet to like, mm-hmm. you know. Is
0: it fair to say though that they might not lose the drastic 20 pounds that they were hoping to lose in that three months so that they're looking and seeing the results and yet yep. those 20 pounds might come over, come off six months from now but in a much healthier way where you actually have a better chance of maintaining you know, like it's like the quick fix, or you're not yep. going to see as many results right off the bat, but it has a longer lasting, hopefully, a lifetime worth of change to yeah, to enjoy the are process. Yeah, you exactly right.
1: Yep, you are you are spot on and exactly right with that. I tell people if you're working with me, it's not sexy, but it might be permanent. You know what I mean? Like it's it's if people want that. Biggest Loser effect of okay, is it twenty pounds? Is mm-hmm. it fifteen pounds? Is it right away? And they think that that's going to be the thing that motivates them to keep it off forever. Having worked with some former Biggest Loser people, I can tell you that that's not, I not was, it. Yeah, right?
0: I was going to ask you. I mean, because we've seen you know you see the cover of People magazine and then you see the cover five years later and then they're back exactly yep. to where they started. Yes. you know that that doesn't that doesn't work. It doesn't like work. I. I I can just see the psychological damage of experiencing that and and what that oh, must yeah. do to a person. Oh yeah. Can you imagine?
1: No. I can't. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing what it took to lose that amount of weight, right? Never really under never really addressing the underlying issues whether it be emotional or whether even it just be habitual and looking at the identity and who I am becoming Peace, right? Um, and then putting it all back on and going, "Oh my god, I have to do it again." Right and 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 trying to get up the um, stamina and the courage and the willpower to do it all over again. Then with the evidence that it didn't work the first time and trying to believe it's going to work again. I mean, it is. Uh, I can I feel say like a crying lot about just saying I, I that. About that. Yes. I know it's 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 um, it is a huge barrier. And so that's what I tell people is is if you want to work together it may not be fast but it may be permanent and would you rather lose 30 pounds really quickly or maybe lose that same 30 pounds forever over the next year and most people by the time they get to me, are ready to figure out the permanence mm-hmm. and not just the right just right. not just the the
0: act—they're tired of the insanity of the yo-yo yeah. of the going and of, of yes. the exactly back where they started. I, I yeah. love this idea. Okay, so because we've easily talked for an hour, the two of us already. <laughs> um, where can people uh, go for some of this information? I know you mentioned that there would be access to seeing some of these worksheets. Where can people go to find that?
1: Yeah, just you know, keep it simple. Just head to my website elizakingsford.com. Um, I'm Eliza Kingsford on you know the social places mm-hmm. as well. The social places. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, but, but Eliza com is my website and all of this stuff is on there. Um, some resources, some worksheets, some freebies. I really like to try and give as much information to people as I can. Um, I think I'm just, I, it, honestly, my biggest dream and passion is that people do not have to struggle with their body and their weight. And so however I can give that out to people, People, I I love to do that. So just mm-hmm. elizakingsford.com is the best place to find all that stuff. I
0: love it. I will have all of that information actually within the show notes, so that people can just uh, head to the show notes and have that direct link. Cool. You know, to get it there. And I think also, I you know, I hope when people kind of tuned in right at the beginning, it wasn't us telling you try paleo, try keto, try Atkins. This is not at all where we're looking, and it's really just taking one small tiny part of the equation at a time, right? Yeah. It's it's not overwhelming yeah. yourself and, and it's going through that pyramid and going, okay, what is going to be that one thing? And yeah. I, can I just ask, like, how often would you add going from that one thing and then adding in that second component and then that third? Like, how long yeah. is
1: that? I'm glad you asked that because that's the beauty of it is that, you know, you don't, you know, you, New Year's resolutions and then people fall off it and then they don't do it again until December of next year. Uh, you can't, You can and should be revisiting and reevaluating as you go along. So you get to, you, you work on that one thing and you go, okay, I've shifted this thing. And then you build on it and you add to it. So when you, as we broke it down in, in the worksheet, you were looking at each barrier and you're setting the goal for that specific barrier. Then you look at the next barrier and set the goal for that specific barrier and the next barrier. And then pretty soon, by the way, now you're going back to that larger goal and going, oh, look, I am, By doing these small habits, now I am meeting that larger goal. That's how it works. And that larger goal lives under the larger intention. So it all builds on each other. And no, you don't need to wait till 2021 to add in something else, right? So um, keep going back to it. That's the other piece is that um, don't Stop looking at your progress. Don't stop looking at things from a meta-analysis standpoint, which is to take a look from a bird's eye view and go, "How am I doing in relation to the things that I want to be doing? How am I doing?" I do that, you know, like daily and weekly. That is a good practice for people to get into: is to take a step out, thirty thousand foot view, and say, "How am I doing in relation to the intentions and the goals that I've set for myself?" And if you find yourself going, "Oh, look at that! I I got that one pretty well managed." move on to the next one. That's look at the barrier, find the goal that will alleviate that barrier and step up rather than step down. Yeah. I love it.
0: Uh, It's been great to be able to have this chat. It's a great way, I think, to be able to launch into this new year and and get people off on the right foot. I don't know. Maybe I I messed with people's heads because they were like, oh my God, I had this all written out that I was going to be going to the gym and doing like 60 (laughs) minutes on the treadmill and I was going to restrict my eating. And now we've heard this information. So, really like let this information sink in you know we're not saying you're not going to go to the gym and you're not going to restrict but give yourself the ability to ask yourself these important questions so that you don't find that you are back to square one again in 2021 asking yourself these same questions so I love the information and hopefully really have people thinking a little bit harder as to how they realistically want to be able to get from point A to point B so Eliza it's been an absolute pleasure oh yeah sure jump in
1: I was just going to say, Leah, now that you said that I have that fear, too, that they're going, oh, my God, I did this thing, and what do I do? So uh, that worksheet that you're going to link to, I'll make sure that there's a very systematic process of, okay, if you did all your, you know, goals and resolutions, you want to do it again. Now that there's, there's like a, there's an action oriented process for you to be able to do that. So I don't want to leave you hanging and going, wait, what <laughs> What do I do now? So I'll make sure if you, in the show notes where Leanne will your link it, I'll make sure it's there and it's really clear and systematic. I love it.
0: Thank you so much. Eliza, it's Thank an you. absolute pleasure. Uh, Brain Powered Food is the book and it's available everywhere. You can purchase the book. Yeah, Brain Powered Weight Loss. Sorry, Brain Powered Weight Loss. I didn't have my notes in front of me anymore. I would have had that right. But Eliza, you were fantastic. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening, thanks once again for the continued support of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. The podcast continues to grow. Please, though, share, like, subscribe. Let people know that it exists as we are learning word of mouth is honestly the best way that people are getting their podcasts out. So it's been great to share and to see so many new people. New, unique uh, listeners each and every week uh, tuning into the podcast, and best of luck. I am hoping that we are all in for an amazing 2020. So hopefully, we're getting you started on the right foot. Have a great day, everyone.
1: I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.